You're listening to Forging Employee Experience. I'm Josh Drain, joined here by the ever-illustrious Alexander Norin. How are you? Well, I'm feeling illustrious, first off and foremost. You're just looking that way, and so I had, <laughs> I had to say it. I had kale for lunch. You have an illustrious <laughs> kale glow about you. I feel strong. I feel, I feel strong. <laughs> it's really working out for you, man. Yeah, man. I, I'm telling you. I appreciate it. Well, we're excited today because we have Joe Hirsch on the podcast. I'm really excited to introduce you to the world. First off, how are you, Joe? I'm doing great, guys. How are you? We're great. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. We just had a fun little little banter back and forth about football and, you know, we, we live in New England. We don't try to brag too much, but... Um, Speaks for itself. You know, Joe, <laughs> Joe is living in Dallas and is staying loyal as an Eagles fan. He's originally from Philadelphia. So uh, h- how was that? Trying to... St- <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, there have been interesting moments throughout the years that we've lived here regarding my football love. And uh, I have to tell you, for a lot of years, it wasn't looking so good, but hey, things are looking up. There you go. You can always say that you are not a fair-weathered fan. This is true. And I can finally say we are now a Super Bowl-winning team, which is also upsetting. Hey. <laughs> I just, I, 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 I re- hat goes off to you because we live in a city where, you know, it's America's team is their tagline. That's really hard to, to argue against. You know what I mean? Like, how, how do you go against America's team? So, so kudos to your, uh, to your strength by sticking to your guns. Listeners, Joe is an award-winning educational leader and researcher who presents a radical alternative to traditional feedback techniques. He is a TEDx presenter, an author, and has written for publications like the Wall Street Journal. And uh, Adam Grant, who is the author of Originals, a great read, by the way, said that Joe is a breath of fresh air. I can almost smell it. Yeah, it's nice. It's like winter's over, spring is coming. Here's Joe. (laughs) Joe, what else can we know about you? I am on a mission to help people fix the way we work at work. And that has been animating everything that I've been doing from the stage and in print for the last two years. Because the number one thing that I think that people get wrong about employee engagement more specifically about feedback, is that it's something we have to do for the employee or to the employee rather than let the employee do it for himself or herself. And certainly as a driver of engagement, giving people feedback that is both actionable but also focused on future events that people can change and control, that is the key to helping them feel great about their work and frankly about themselves. You know, that, that's awesome. Let's just jump right into unpacking some of those things that you're talking about here. The, the first being engagement is not something that we do to someone. Uh, we were just having a conversation earlier today that uh, it's, it's hard to think of employees coming to work and saying, hey, today I don't want to be engaged. They they obviously want to be engaged. They want to be doing the work that they're doing. It's just there are a lot of factors that create that disengagement, particularly saying, hey, we're going to implement this engagement strategy to fix you or to make you do something different when, like you mentioned, it's a very individual experience for a lot of people. So, so how do we go about uh, changing that narrative a bit? I think it starts with managers on the front line, and it's part method, but also mindset. And by mindset, I mean the way we think about people and their performance in general. 
if you look at someone, it's very easy to look out at them and tell them who they are. But it's very difficult to think instead about who they are becoming. And that shift from who they are to who they are becoming, from a past that they can't change to a future that they could, that shift in mindset is what powers this view of feedback that I call feed forward, which is a, a radically different way of thinking about performance and people. Instead of writing about a past they can't fix or change, it's helping them script a future that they can. And there are strategic things that leaders can do to manage that process and to make it meaningful for employees so that ultimately it's no longer a question of well, is feedback something that I have to fear? It's going to be, is this going to be something that's going to help me grow? And that shift in thinking about how we structure and design and deliver uh, these feedback encounters is ultimately what leads to much more productive and honest conversations and frankly, positive and lasting change. That's, that's phenomenal. And I, I love the play on words there, the feed forward, because as, as we think about how we do uh, performance evaluations, how, how managers lead and kind of guide that, that conversation in the workforce, it is very much a retrospective um, outlook. You know, hey, this is what you did. This is what you did. This is what you did. Now be better. You know, it, the focus is all in the past. And that, so, so can you describe for me a little bit more, what is it right now that is not working? For those, for those of us out there that are, for those out there that are listening that are thinking about, okay, what does it look like in my organization? organization? Tell me right, tell me about the feedback process right now that's broken. Give me some details around that. And then how do we transition that to this feed forward method where we're all of a sudden start, starting to help shape people's potential in their future? I think it starts deep inside the human mind uh, because when we receive negative feedback, we are triggered to go into a state of stress. In fact, that is exactly what happens on a neuro level. Our, our brains flood with toxic stress, cortisol, the stress-inducing hormone, overtakes our neural pathways and literally causes us to go into a state of mental paralysis. Our creativity, our executive functioning, the parts of us that make us who we are, <laughs> mm -hmm. they go dark, literally, when we hear challenging news about ourselves that threaten is our status or that makes us feel just a little bit less safe. And so there's a toxic stress element to it. There's a time lapse element to it that so often these conversations, even if they are rooted in reality, are often transmitted well after the event has occurred. So the very reason that you, my manager, want to give me feedback in the first place it may be weeks or, or even in some cases months before we actually sit down and formally discuss what happened. Well, at that time, according to research, we aren't really able to reconstruct the past very well. In fact, we start forgetting information within 24 hours of learning it and that forgetting curve steepens very sharply at first and then steadily we lose information over time. So if enough time has gone by from the time that I've seen something that I want to talk to you about to the time that I actually tell you about it, 
Well, neither you nor I can really reconstruct the past with fidelity. And so that's mm -hmm. another problem, the time gap. It's our job to shift the conversation into future tense, have more real-time conversations that bridge the gap between event and discussion, and ultimately approach not as adversaries, but as partners, so that we manage that stress-inducing process that is so often brought on in conversations about performance and turn this from something that induces fear to joy. And, and, what's, and, and to highlight one of the huge problems with trying to reconstruct past events that have happened you know, often well before the traditional feedback conversations occur, we, I think we, there's a tendency to patch the holes in the narrative with bias. And so you, t you take a traditionally okay performer or a bad performer who, who actually may not have done that poorly, but if they have a bad, bad reputation with the manager, now all of a sudden those gaps are being filled in with an opinion that that manager has that may not actually be a fair representation of the work that was done. And so I just, I think you're, it's, you're exactly right. This, this idea of waiting too long and, and trying to, to, to remember, right, once a year, you know, how was your work nine <laughs> months ago, right? I think we're all, all, all realizing that we need to move away from that. Uh, it, it's huge. Yeah, and, and also the, the fear of that feedback, I think, is so real for so many people. Uh, you can look at it on a corporate level of, hey, our, our review is coming up. I'm going to tell you about yourself and what I view you to be all the way down to the personal level where, you know, you ever have that moment where your wife is like, we need to, we're going to talk about this later. <laughs> mm. or, or, or just the, can we talk? The minute yeah. that happens, you start thinking like, oh no, what did I do? What did I say? What kind of feedback is she going to give me on my behavior? And so you're right. There, our brains go to this, this debilitating fear zone that um, is, is never good for the feed forward right. rather than the feedback. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of research that shows that when we give feedback to other people, to your point, Alexander of the Raider bias, this is exactly what goes into so many conversations. Managers are actually speaking to issues that matter more to them than to the employee and oftentimes will give priority to issues that matter more to them than to an objective presentation of or analysis of like the state of work that's being done. And so most performance ratings say more about the manager <laughs> than they do about the employee, right. which is totally backwards. And, and that actually causes all kinds of problems. That's where the defensiveness comes in. That's where it becomes a hierarchy and a power struggle. And ultimately, people don't show up to be their, their real selves. Josh, you mentioned about the whole you know, the posturing come review time. I can't tell you how many clients I've worked with where this has been the case where they have polite environments where everyone is kind of on their best behavior and everyone is dodging and, and weaving around the real issues. And it comes across in so many ways. They're just, people aren't showing up as their real selves. There's authenticity issues. Everyone's very collegial and nice, but it's almost like they're skirting the real problems, that, that elephant that's in the room. And they don't want to actually have honest, real conversation about what's going on. And so you end up with a feedback culture that's based largely on evasion and illusion and even self-delusion. Mm, so, so let's start jumping into to some of those feedback practices because I feel like you are, 
you've thought this through and, and you have some really practical ways to help us think differently about per feedback, particularly when we, we talk to you at the Work Human Conference. One of my favorite things that you mentioned was the, the feedback wrap versus the praise sandwich. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like most of us are pretty familiar with the praise sandwich. That is, you give praise up front and then there's the murky middle, as you would call it, telling them the, the real feedback. And then you put another sandwich piece on there. It's disgusting. It, I would recommend it to no one. <laughs> Don't eat that one. Don't yeah. eat that one. Get a different Don't one. Don't eat it. High calorie, low protein. It's That's definitely right. not kale. Bunch of carbs. Um, no kale. It's a, yeah, it's a carb. Like, but we understand why people do it, right? I mean, it's, it's a safe, familiar option for people. And by the way, I think the praise in the praise sandwich is really important. I, I think that's absolutely part and should be part of the conversation about how we give praise to our employees. And as an element of feedback, that's super important. But I want to separate out praise from correction because the two are not the same. When you approach someone with feedback, you really need to know what the point of it is. And if it's to praise someone, then you should be authentic about that. And if it's to correct something, they need to be upfront about that as well. So according to research, what often happens in, in a praise sandwich is that if I'm telling you first about something really great, you're already waiting for the other shoe to drop. You're thinking to yourself, well, there's got to be something else. What's he about to say? What's she about to tell me? And, and that sense of, uh, of impending doom sets in so that you're not even really listening to the compliment. So the praise, which oftentimes is sincere and genuine, falls on deaf ears because you're already waiting for the next thing, which you would suspect to be bad. Because we're not dumb. We know how this thing works, right? You're going to soften me up and then you're going to lower the boom. Well, we're waiting for the boom. That's the first problem. The other problem is that something called the recency effect that we, we tend to focus only on the, the most recent thing that we hear. So if the last part of this conversation is you're so great, you're a high value member of the team. And by the way, you know, kind of ignore everything I just said that needs fixing. Well, we will. <laughs> We're not going to remember the last thing. We're not going to remember the thing you told us before because we're fixated on the last thing you said, which was good. So you walk out of these conversations thinking, hey, I'm okay. And the manager walks out thinking, all right, I checked that box. And the end, no one has been served. Yeah, Nobody changes. So, so the, the Nothing's changed. Graph. Nothing has improved. And, and that's, the, that's the fallacy of, right. of giving feedback that way. Again, I think praise is important, but if you're going to praise someone, be particular about that and be intentional and, and really single it out. So is the that wrap, the concept behind the wrap? It, it's more of a 360. I mean, I'm trying to figure out what's in the wrap. What does the tortilla mean? I'm, I'm looking way too far into this, Joe, but like, tell us, what is the feedback wrap? So wrap, wrap stands for what and where, reason, affect with an A and prompt. Reason, sorry, what and where, reason, affect, and prompt. And those are the elements of very successful feedback that research and experience shows makes all the difference to people. So you start by telling them what's happening and where it's happening. You give it a zip code, you give it an address, and you de-escalate some of the natural tension that all too often is part of these conversations by really getting specific about what it is you're going to be talking about. So if this is about someone's tendency to become overbearing at meetings and kind of steal the show, then make sure they know that from the start. You say, hey, John, I want to talk to you about what happened today earlier in the meeting. 
<clears throat> and the way you were talking over the rest of the team. Already John knows that this is about that particular issue and not his timesheets and not his creativity and, and not the recent ad campaign he worked on. He, he's really focused on this particular thing because you've now given it an address. What's happening? Where is it happening? Then you want to give a reason for why this hit your feedback radar in the first place. And you want to say to him, hey, John, the reason I want to talk about this is because it seems to me that people at the meeting weren't able to share their ideas during that pitch session. And I just felt like we didn't really get a full treatment of the issue. Now, John is an adult and, and he's smart. He knows why it's wrong to and rude to talk over people. So why are you telling him that? I mean, isn't that condescending? But what I found and what research supports is that oftentimes we're blind to the way we're showing up to other people. We, we literally can't even see how they see us. And that's why it's important to give the reason because it makes it explicit as to what's happening and the effect that that's having on other people. Yeah, and you're, you're touching on uh, something that's really important to us and something that I think that you discuss as well. You kind of talk about managers and their role in giving feedback and, and, and helping people view um, themselves and, and their work. You, you talk about this concept between a window gazer and a mirror holder. So, so tell us a little bit about a manager's role in giving that feedback. What, a, what is the difference there? So that is going to really come into the, the latter part of this wrap sandwich, but it's the difference of basically telling someone what to see or helping them see it for themselves. If you and I are standing beside a window, I'm actually looking out my office window right now and imagining you guys standing next to me and we're describing the scene on the street below. I could tell you that I think there's a lot of traffic and that it looks like it's an overcast day here in Dallas. You'll tell me, oh, no, 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 no. I, I know what overcast is. That's, that's Boston in the, in the spring. That's overcast skies. <laughs> this isn't overcast. And frankly, you've never seen traffic you know, until you've seen Boston traffic. And, and we have this opposing view of reality. I think something, you think something else. Now, if we're just having a casual conversation as equals and friends, that's fine. We're each entitled to our own account. But in the context of work, especially in the context of manager to employee, we are not equal. There is an imbalance of power, and the only view that can prevail is the view of the person who is gazing, who has that power, the manager. And ultimately, that is what happens in traditional feedback. It's a hierarchical setting where I, the manager, am telling you what I think is wrong and what needs to be fixed, and here's how I think you should fix it. Mirror holders do just the opposite. When you're holding a mirror to someone, that person holding the mirror can only see the darkened backside, that opaque backside. The only person who can actually see something is the person across from you looking into that mirror. That person, in this case, the employee, now gets to see himself or herself so much more clearly than ever before. And my job as the manager is not to force a change on you, but to provoke an insight to help you start to see things through the kinds of questions that I ask, through the kinds of guidance that I can provide, but ultimately, transferring responsibility of solving this problem to you and changing my role from prescriber to describer 
instead of me telling you what to do, I'm just helping you figure out the things that need to be done, the things that you probably already knew and just need a little help getting to. And that's the P in the wrap. Uh, the A stands for affect. It's the feelings that it causes, and that, that comes up in the context of not making judgment statements. Instead of saying, John, you really are you know, impolite for talking over people. We really can't have that here. That's a judgment. That's a you statement. But an I statement is, John, I felt uncomfortable when you did that in the meeting because I, I knew that others had things to share, and I, just, I could see their frustration when they didn't have a chance to do it. And here's the P, here's the mirror holder. So John, what do you think we could do differently about that? What do you think you would do differently next time about that? Now, one of two things is gonna happen. Either John is going to categorically deny everything you just said, which he might, <laughs> right. because some people do that. They, right. are, they right. lack that level of self-awareness that they might challenge what you said, which itself is good, because now at least you know where he's, where he's holding, where he's standing. Or he may pause reflectively and say, wow, I didn't realize I showed up that way. Here's what I think I need to do about that. And the difference is powerful and, and so simple, but, but so transformational at the same time. By you not telling John what to do next, you have now made John the owner of this solution. You have given him the agency and the accountability that every adult wants in work. The key driver of engagement is feeling like people value you and respect you for who you are. I can't think of a better way to drive engagement than by literally putting the onus of adulthood and adult decision-making on someone and letting them come up with solutions that they probably already have and you as a manager can guide them towards. And in that process, you're showing yourself to be a partner and not an adversary. You've changed the dynamics of judgment to partnership, to progress. And you've t told this other person that you are there for them to help them get to where they need to go and have the confidence in them that they can actually do this with your support on their own. That's, that's such a powerful idea because, I mean, we all know, right, the most lasting change are, are, are the changes that we decide on our own to make. And, you know, someone coming in here telling me what to do is, is one thing. And if, if by chance I have enough humility to listen, then maybe I'll change. But more often than not, you know, when people help me find, help me on a path to self-discovery, of how we can be better. I think that's, I mean, obviously that is so much more effective. So, so this, this, I, I love this, this whole concept of, of the wrap is, is phenomenal. A question I have though, how do you, how, what advice can you give to helping know when to have formal feedback like, like that, you know, you know, the scenario you, you just gave made me think of, of, you know, a couple of people sitting down, having a conversation in private, you know, which means, you know, the, somebody called somebody else into his or her office or, you know, over, over to a more secluded part of this, to the office space to, to have this conversation. How do you, do you have any tricks or, or any tips on how do we gauge when we need to have that sit down conversation versus when I can just say, Hey, John, listen, man, relax in the meeting, like calm down next time. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. as opposed to, as opposed to maybe making it seem like a bigger deal than it is due to the, 
formality of the feedback? So the, the key here is to make feedback from being a once in a while, some of the time event mm -hmm. to an all the time continuous conversation. And the more frequently team leaders and team members are talking about this openly, the more natural it becomes. It's, it's as natural as your all hands meeting. Uh, I urge um, companies who are working with me on these change processes to adopt very informal um, measures like taking a group of people out to lunch and just having conversation. Uh, or if it, if the time or budget doesn't allow for that, having more structured, just-in-time conversations with people that aren't um, reactive but are proactive so that you're talking about issues related to performance and related to career and development more frequently so that when something has to happen, then it doesn't feel as scary and that threat zone that we talked about isn't mm -hmm. activated. So that's for sure. I, I also think that this can work very nicely within a, a traditional accountability system, the, the traditional kinds of performance management structures that um, have been in place for a while. Sometimes people are surprised um, to hear me say that I, I, I don't want to blow the whole thing up. I, I really don't. Um, <laughs> even though some, some of the things that I'm talking about here are a little more progressive and a little more um, outside the box for some companies, especially some legacy kind of thinking or legacy structures that exist in HR, Ultimately, um, we need to measure success and we need to help people get better by showing them um, really very clear metrics about how they can improve. So I think it's very important to keep that. And I think this works alongside it because we're not talking about throwing out ratings or, or, uh, or abandoning performance management altogether. I, I just think of it more as performance development and having these conversations more frequently and then softening the metrics with more of a partnership approach towards feedback where managers are really steering the conversation towards a future about career and development and asking questions and genuinely listening to those answers and again allowing that information to surface because often managers don't have all the facts they have very incomplete pictures of their employees even those that they work with closely because i as a manager if I'm a window gazer, I'm only telling you what I see. And that picture may be distorted, it may be skewed towards my own personal cognitive biases. I may not even recall everything very well, depending on how long ago it happened. So the, the truest and, and, and most genuine way to have these conversations is for me, the manager, to silence myself, to adopt a humbler approach to performance management, to stop being a, a know-it-all and start being a learn-it-all and learn as much as I can about my employees' own career path and priorities and, frankly, path to success and the ways that they want to improve, rather than me forcing that on them in a top-down manner that ultimately leaves very little room for them to adopt and own that change. Mm -hmm. Joe, this has been an amazing conversation. I. I, I think that you are very prolific when it comes to, to writing down some of these thoughts. I was on your blog and you just have ultra sticky titles. I want to read through all of them. Uh, your book, The Feedback Fix, some people call you the, the Fix-It Man. I know that you have this uh, amazing acronym that we didn't get to today around repair. We just don't have enough time on the show. But, but before we close things up, I would love just to 
So here's some practical advice for you. What, what, what would you tell the listeners who are listening in and starting to catch the new vision of feedback, or I should say feed forward, mm-hmm. what, what practical advice could you give them to get started today? I would start small and with a warm market. Feedback is all about relationships. And so start to develop those relationships with people who you know well and can trust. And that's a great place to start having these conversations and seeding the change process. Two, I would adopt a humbler approach as a manager. In a way, we sometimes come in as fixers and think that we have to own the process of change and success for our teams, for our divisions, our organizations. And I think uh, that's a little bit of managerial hubris. Realize that you are one part driving the change in your organizations. And sometimes the best thing you can do is to unburden yourself of that responsibility, distribute it equally among your team. And that doesn't diminish your power as a manager. In fact, if anything, I think it makes you stronger because it shows that you're humble enough and thoughtful enough to invest in your people and to really care what they think and they can help drive change with you, not just under you. And finally, I think it's important to realize that this is something that will only change if we start getting comfortable asking for feedback, not just waiting for it to happen. Mm -hmm. So even if you're not a leader on your team, even if you don't think you have the position to affect change within your organization, the very fact that you would go to your boss or go to people around you and ask for feedback using some of the strategies that we talked about today or that you can find uh, in my column at Inc. or in the feedback fix or my TEDx talk. These are, these are things that I try to bring across that are simple yet research-backed and ultimately make a real and meaningful change for people. So putting it all together, start asking more questions and, and sort of let go of some of that hubris Start small and with a warm market and start asking for feedback more often. You'll be surprised just how much permission that gives for everyone else to start doing the same. Mm. That is wonderful feedback. And we've been here with Joe Hirsch. You can learn more by going to joehirsch.me. And uh, he's got this wonderful TED Talk that you can check out. We'll put that in the show notes. But Again, Joe, thank you so much for joining us on the show, and uh, we'll look forward to our future conversations. Thanks, guys.